Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest is a great example of preparation. He prepares so much that when he gives a speech, it just looks natural. It's unbelievable. And he's one of the youngest world-renowned speakers out there. You've seen this guy on many podcasts. We have some fun. We even talk about Indian matchmaking, which season two just came out. Brendan, welcome. What's up, Rena? Hi, Brendan. How are you? Good, good, good. How are you? Good. Yo, you got me into such a backlog of Jerry Springer. I've been watching Jerry Springer for like last week because of that episode. <laughs> nice. Oh, <laughs> what kind of stories did you find? Too many. Too many. My God. I, I quit that addiction like years ago. And then <laughs> your episode brought it back. I love it. That's fun. I have gone down that rabbit hole myself. And it's funny because we just moved and it's funny what you find in a move, like what you end up keeping and throwing away and finding. And I opened a drawer in the kitchen today and there was a Jerry Springer keychain in there. I was like, how in the heck? I'm like, this could be worth something. Keep it. That. <laughs> Life is interesting if you make it so. Yeah. Are you a rule breaker? A rule breaker? I mean, technically, yeah, but maybe not the rules that Jerry's breaking on his show. This is some different kind of rules. So I was kind of thinking of starting a speech like that. I was going to start a speech and say, where are my rule breakers? Because I've actually asked that question in my Facebook group, and I feel like it was fairly well received, and a lot of people will admit to that. And what's interesting about the crowd is it's a bunch of like financial professionals, which have to like abide by compliance and have to be like super buttoned up. And like I thought by maybe getting a couple people to raise their hand and like high five me to that, that then I could lead to not only am I a rule breaker and I'm going to give them an example of something that they can do to break a quick rule and it's not that risque. I was going to say, I know everybody's been told to like put your phones away, turn them off, make sure they're on silent. But I'm going to tell you right now at the front of this presentation, take out your phone. I want you to take a selfie at this event. Then I want you to take one with the buddy next to you that you might not even know. Then I want you to take a selfie of the entire room. Okay, now you've got three different social media ops right here. Okay. Who's on Twitter? Who's on LinkedIn? Who's on Facebook? The hashtag is going to be hashtag, whatever the events hashtag is. Right. And that is a way that you can join and find everyone in this room by searching that hashtag on any one of those platforms. When you're done with that little task of breaking rules, put your phone back away. And I'm going to tell you a story of a time that I broke through a board at Tony Robbins and how I got there. (laughs) I love Tony Robbins. I thought you might. 
It was an interesting segue, though. I didn't expect you to go from <laughs> from financial advice. I guess it depends on what the rules are at that event and what your goal is. Like, are you are you speaking about social media there? So my goal is to teach them unconventional ways to reach people and to communicate. With the goal of signing clients, with the goal of spreading the reach, I guess? With the goal of reaching people, with the mm. goal of affirming, with the goal of networking, with the goal of knowing the people in your organization more than skin deep. Mm. That yeah. makes sense. And I feel like the barrier to entry is super low. And it, with just a few tips of like what I do that really so many people don't, you can make such better connections with people and that will make people stay longer that will make the workplace more enjoyable. That will make the world a better place. Like seriously, people just want to feel seen and heard. And if you can do that for a few people, if you can just lift a few up, that actually creates like an insane ripple effect. Oh yeah, I agree, Rena. I think the strategy makes sense. Like I'm never one to, to say one tactic is right or wrong. I think it's more about have dinner with some people in the audience just to get a feel for the energy. Cause it might be your first time speaking to the audience and they might piss their pants. So I guess, I guess it just depends, right? What the energy is, but I, I think it's a good idea. Why not? Cool. So I know you go to a lot of like professional development types of events and you kind of like live for that. What's your oh, yeah. approach to networking at those things and feeling out the crowd? Like, how do you size that up? I usually just talk to the loudest person there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I find with personal development events, Rena, is that a lot of the people there, they want to be there. It's not like some boring, you know, networking event in a city and everyone's on a suit and they're going, so like, what do you do for a living? And you're just there like, oh my God. Whereas the personal development conferences are super fun because everyone's like singing Kumbaya. Everyone's at the Tony Robbins event. I've, I, I've literally went to four of them this year, right? So it's, everyone's great. And I've met some really cool friends there. Did you just start with Tony this year? It was 18 months ago. Okay. When you first walked into the room and you saw the music pumping and these like adults jumping up and down and it looks like adult sleepaway camp, did you already like know what you were getting into? Oh yeah. I'm already an addict. I already, I've already done this, but in different formats, you know, it started with Lewis House's event, Summit of Greatness. I met my business partner there. He's been with Tony for like 15 years or something. And then I went to the, I went to the next event. Yeah. I've been drinking the Kool-Aid ever since. I do this for vacation. Like this is what I do for fun. Yeah. So when I first went to Tony Robbins, I convinced my boss because I was working at a financial firm at the time that really? instead of putting these like small steak dinners on for like 25 to 50 people, 50 to 75 people, like if I go to Tony Robbins, it costs like $5,000 to get in the door, like a minimum. And then not only are there like the minimum people there, but then there's the platinum club there. And like, I can meet the platinum club, like standing in line in the bathroom. So it was like, these people are paying like 80 G's a year to like circulate all the events and like get one-on-one -on -one time and they've got money to spend. So I was like, you know, we've done well with these smaller events. Let me loose at one of these bigger events. And I promise I will meet the platinum club. And he was like, that sounds good. Right. But truthfully between you and I, like I wanted to know what Kool-Aid they were drinking. I hadn't listened to the podcast. I hadn't really read his books. I'd seen some of his motivational stuff and I'm into that. Right. But I was right. like, I have never seen so many people in a room that want to change the world for good like that. Like that energy is insane. And like the way it unfolds and the formula of it too is transformative. Like the breakthroughs that happen 
actually like reminded me of reality TV. I think it's more insane that you convinced your boss that you spent five G's on you. That's wild. I wish I could do that with my boss. Shit. I had a friend once. I, he was telling me this the other day. There's another program that's like 30 grand. He got his company to front load the whole amount. I was like, geez, you guys are good. So you should make a course on that. <laughs> it was so crazy too. Like before I got on the plane back home, my boss was like, how many Platinum Club members did you meet? I was like, 17. <laughs> I did meet some. Some of them might be MLM sending me things in the mail, but you know, we'll work with that. The ROI was positive. Let's do it again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was crazy. It, it was so crazy. And then it's like the last day is like the final crescendo. Like everything that you've learned in the whole week, like gets put into play. Are you going to break that board? Are you going to stop at that board? Are you going to walk across those coals? Are you going to take everything that you learned from the week and put it into practice? Are you going to go all in? Like that was how I felt. And I swear to God, my partner, he's like you. He was drinking the Kool-Aid long before I walked through the door. Okay. This guy was a groupie. He actually wanted to be my partner because he saw me. He was like, oh yeah, she's never been here. I'm going to be with her. I want to experience this through her eyes. Like I must've had virgin like written on my forehead. This guy was like, I want to be like, literally he was like, eyeballing me because I looked clueless. So this guy was like, oh yeah, there's a newbie. I'm grabbing <laughs> her. Like, this is going to be fun to watch her transform because he's been to so many of these events for him. It's just like up-leveling a little, you know, he's had his breakthroughs. But when you get the newbie, it's like going to a new country for the first time. When you go to an event with somebody that's never experienced a personal development event oh, yeah. on that scale, it's like experiencing something beautiful and miraculous for the first time. And you like want to like hold their hand and be there to see like how they're saying it. Right. He's like standing behind me. He's punking me out. He's like, my seven-year-old can do it. You know? And the lady in front of me is like kind of thin and hunched over and she looks a lot older than me. And she put her hand through it. I was like, Oh hell no. I am giving it one good go. Right. Like I am committed right now. And I really do feel like too, like that is the difference between somebody who breaks the board, somebody who up levels, somebody who gets out of their comfort zone. Like it's the person that's decided I'm going to follow the formula. I'm going to listen to the trainer. I'm going to put my hips into it. I'm going to put my hand where they tell me to place it. I'm going to scream from my gut. Like they're telling me to scream and completely embarrass myself. And I'm breaking that board. I've yet to meet someone who hasn't broke the board. There must be something wrong with the board. I actually saw people that stopped at the board. And oh, that really? actually psyched me out too. I was like, dude, she's, she's capable. Like that chick's my size. Like she's got strength in her. I have faith. If she wouldn't stop, she could do it. Do you ever see that actually with people where you're like, why are they nervous? Mm. You know, it's funny you say that. Cause I, cause I can picture you yelling at the people who didn't break the board and just go, why did you break the board? And then you like take their hand, you like force them to break the board. I could like see you do that. I'm totally not though, but you know, it's so funny. So another beautiful part of the event and something that I loved so much is mm. that after they hold up the two pieces and you're like, you can't even believe that you did it. Then you clank the two broken pieces together and you affirm the next person. You cheer on everyone around you and it's oh. just madness. It's so powerful. It's like, you know, the slow clap man of the boards <laughs> and the whole room is doing it. And then it's just like, 
every last person wants to do it. And they, the trainers were actually really cool too. Like for the people who couldn't do it and felt embarrassed and like kept getting stuck at the board, they took them out of the room and were like, okay, I think you just need to chill. Like I saw them do it with somebody and then they brought her back in. And, and sometimes the pressure and the banging and the lights and the jumping can, it, it honestly reminds me of TV. And some of these guests like have told me their story and they're yelling at me and I'm like, they're going to be the freaking best guests ever. And then they get there, they see the lights, they see the camera, they- And they just freeze up. Yeah. I've seen it too, like even producing a, a podcast live where like, I'm like, dude, like we know each other. Like we've known each other for three years. Let me just sit in the host seat for a second. Let me tell the host to get out of here. Like, you know, let's just have a conversation. Mm. Like, how do you get that way though with a crowd? How do you erase the audience? Yeah, that's a great piece. I would say, you know, it starts with dreaming. And I know that's weird, Rena, but hear me out a little bit since we're talking to Tony Robbins here. You know, you know, a lot of us dream about, you know, our business goals or relationship goals or health goals, but a lot of us don't really dream about a world in which we're a better communicator. Mm. And I feel it starts there. That's why a question I ask a lot is how would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? So when you start to dream about how your life would be better, you actually don't want to race the audience anymore. You understand why you're in front of them in the first place. And the framing of how you approach speaking changes. When did you pick that up? <laughs> I was in preschool. And I was, no, I'm kidding. It was actually with a five-year-old. I coach kids. You probably don't know this. But when I started, it was with kids. And the reason was because I wanted to understand where does the fear of communication begin? And what you'll find interesting is that when they're five or six years old, Rena, they don't really care. Like there's an exercise I teach called the random word exercise. You pick, you pick a random word like tissue or like a board and you just give a presentation. But when they're five years old, they just so okay, they just do it. But when they're 10 years old, they don't want to do it anymore. So why is there a gap? And I realized that the kid who's five years old doesn't know what the fear of communication is. So they just go, oh, this will be fun. But then the education system kind of trains them out of it later. Okay, but between five and 10, you've got some years. So when does it start getting gray? I wouldn't know the exact age. I would say from experience, it's probably around eight, nine. When they get into like grade two, three-ish, that's when the presentations start entering the education system. But all of those presentations are mandatory, right? So you don't really get to have a choice. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Rena, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Like, nobody says that. And then the other piece is you don't get to pick the topic where you don't walk in and say, hey, what do you want to talk about? Jerry Springer? You want to talk about, uh, you know, your parents? You want to talk about your passion for podcasting? No, you got to talk about Shakespeare. So it's not super fun. And then the third piece is every presentation is tied to a punishment, right? So if you don't do a great job, you get a slap in the head and you lose 20% of your grade. So yeah, not super fun for kids. So they grow up hating it. Okay, I'm totally switching subjects, but can you say better call daddy in French? <laughs> oh, better call daddy. Like I know each individual word. Let me actually, better call daddy in French. <laughs> that totally caught me off guard. Je devrais appeler mon père. That's the direct translation. I love that like you totally rolled with that. <laughs> and I know that French was something that you struggled with. And that kind of is part of your story of how you got into public speaking, right? You got it. Well, you know my story well. It's so fascinating. You're so good at this. Anyways, yeah, you got it. I, I'm born and raised in Montreal. So, so I learned French there and I'm, I still live there today. You got it. So you must like it. I mean, it's fun when you don't live in Canada. Let's say you're in the States. Let's say I'm in California and I start speaking French. People go crazy. It's wild. So that, that's super fun. The other piece was, I mean, I hated French growing up, to be honest. It was really hard to learn the grammar, the rules. But the reason I know it's because I studied in it. But I'm grateful that I know it now for sure. Can you do any fun accents? You mean you like in French? You that video on accents, remember? 
Oh, accent. I can do, I can do French. Donc, bonjour. Ouais, comment allez-vous aujourd'hui? Donc, euh, est-ce que tu devrais vendre souper avec moi? That's like, have dinner with me. And that's like French. Ooh, Indian is more. I, I might get in trouble for this, but let's go for it. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, how are you doing today? That's <laughs> Indian. Do I you get mistaken? For? I mean, do people guess your nationality wrong? Do people do that? Oh, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get used to it when you're growing up. I mean, everyone just calls you Indian. I honestly call myself Indian, even if technically I'm Sri Lankan. But at some point, I just you're gave what? up. I'm Sri Lankan, technically. But, okay. But I kind of just gave up. It's okay. It's kind of like my last name. For, for some reason, people can't pronounce Kumar Sami. So I just get on podcasts or when I talk to people, they just go, so I have a question. I was like, I already know what you're going to ask me how to press my last name, right? How did you know? I was like, and then I say it and then they go, so welcome to the podcast, Brendan. And I'm like, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of just get over it. Or else you'll just be a miserable human being, right? It's kind of like Tony says, you just got to love life and whatever your expectation is, is where the happiness is. So keep the expectation low and you'll be happy. I was actually thinking, like, have you ever done the self-deprecating humor thing? Like, were you just like, I should do the intro. <laughs> Honestly, I, I take the self-deprecating route. That's the key. Like, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people, I was talking about my crooked left arm, which is crooked. When I keynote, I was talking about the fact that, you know, I studied in accounting. So what does a communication expert have to do in accounting? So yeah, I, th I think self-deprecation is the key, honestly. It, it avoids the pain and it makes people, especially a lot of like the people I talk to, they just can't pronounce my last name. So if I, if I make a fuss about it, they'll just feel bad. It'll ruin their day. So I might as well just be going, yeah, yeah, my last name is Kush. Absolutely. It's totally, totally fine. Literally, you could just call me B <laughs> at some point. You know, it's funny, but I grew up Jewish in Kentucky. I mean, that in itself is funny, but... Also, people had trouble pronouncing my name, which is totally phonetic. Like Re Like Rina. I got like, what, what were they saying though? I got Rini. I got Reha. Like if the N was looking like an H. I think even at my high school graduation, they're like, Renee Friedman, and you just start answering to it. You're like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, somebody might call you Hall if this keeps keeping up. Like it just. Yeah, so that's funny. What do people most remember about you? What do people most remember about me? I would probably say, that's a very good question. What do most people remember about you? Well, I was thinking about that because I'm like, there's so many different ways in which you can start a speech, right? Like you've got to mm. have that like emotional hook or you could like tell them the points that you like want to bring value to them. You can like lay that out. Or I could be like, okay, you know, I could do all like my bragging rights of all the shows that I've worked on and then get to the value, right? Like there's so many different like approaches mm. you can take. So I'm like, should I tell them I've been, you know, everybody always wants to know, like, how did you become a producer on the Jerry Springer show? What was Jerry really like? Like, what was your craziest story? Was it real? Was it fake? I'm like, we can get to all those things. I'm totally happy to do that in the Q&A or we could do it right now. You just tell me like, which direction would you guys like me to go? Uh... I see where you're getting at. I see where you're getting at. I would say what most people remember for you more is, is more the feeling that I leave people with. People tend to tell me that I have, some, I have a buttery voice. Like I just get along with most people. So that's what I, what I would say. But in terms of what you mentioned, I think it really starts with the message that you want to share with people, right? Mm -hmm. In the sense that if your goal is to share, let's say, communication tips, or you're at a, you're at a film festival, you're at some entertainment conference, you were talking about, you know, being a producer, then that's what they want to hear. But maybe like the financial conference you're talking about earlier, do they want to hear about Jerry's Prime? I mean, some of them might not even know who that is. So maybe that that's a different context 
So I feel it all always goes back to what do they want to remember? What what do you think they want out of it? And then you kind of bridge the gap between both of those pieces. I mean, they are part of the farming community, so I'm pretty sure they know about Springer and it's in Chicago, which is where Springer was shot for most of his whole running career. So I feel like the city is his, the audience probably knows him. I mean, he's a legend. He's been on like, you know, Dancing he is. Stars recently. He's got a podcast still. He just had a court show. He had the longest running talk show. He's still around. I'm pretty sure that it was a guilty pleasure of people in the audience. Including me, guilty as charged, honestly. Exactly. And then too, like, there's been other things that I feel like he, I mean, I got Katie Couric to follow me on Instagram. So I was going to tell maybe even the story of how I made that happen. Another mm. trick that I thought that I went to a networking event in Florida and I thought this was really genius. The guy there walked everyone at the event through the feature on LinkedIn where you can search nearby. Like basically you turn on your Bluetooth then you go to my connections. And then if you're in the same like vicinity with someone, you can add everyone in the room, like through Bluetooth, there's a feature called search nearby. And if mm. like you're in the same room with people, like at an event, you can literally add everyone in the room. So that's like super easy to do. I was going to try to give them like some little hacks like that. So one, the hashtag thing, like take a selfie, put it on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, it's like, honestly, I feel like a good idea just to even have a free account because there might be somebody in your community that that's how they communicate. It's a free tool. Not that you have to be there all the time, but like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, like I feel like you should have just a basic account. So if that's how people communicate, that you're at least there. Also, you can communicate with your competition. You can see what your competition's doing. And even before this event, like I searched hashtag farm credit to see the kind of content that is on Twitter. You guys have 13,000 followers there. Are you going to get into the conversation? Or are you just going to be in the background? Right? Right. Yeah, I love that. Wow, you're really good on LinkedIn. I didn't even know about the, the search in your buy function. I got to use that the next time at a I'm at a networking event. So wait, so let me get this straight. So they're farmers, but they're also in financial services? I think they do the credit for the farmers. That's oddly specific. How did you even get that gig? That's a great question. So <laughs> yeah. totally by networking, actually. And that's with people in the credit industry and farming? Actually, no. What's crazy oh. is so I mean it's it's multiple planted seeds along the way but I like the pun there see seeds because yeah <laughs> yeah there was a girl that I used to create some content with in Chicago and she introduced me to another content creator so the second content creator was speaking at an event I went to that event we met we hit it off then her and I even talked about like potentially like doing some production work together in Chicago pre-pandemic where I like met her at a radio station and we talked about different ideas and we both just have a love of like creating content. So we like had that in common and we had friends in common and, you know, events in common. So a lot of seed planting there, right. Then you start tending the crop. <laughs> okay. So she's working with a podcaster. He starts getting some traction in the area. We're both in the same city. I was like, Oh, he'd be cool for my show, but it never happened. Then she got asked to speak at this event and wasn't available. And she was like, Rena would be great. So she totally put me up for it, which is amazing. Mm. And we've never done business together. It was just a relationship that blossomed. And that is actually a really good point to 
how you should communicate on these channels. Like really, it doesn't always have to be transactional. Really, I actually think that you should have at least five back and forths, like a tennis tournament, you know, bouncing the conversation back and forth before any asks. I agree. Getting to know each other. Just what do you have in common? It will come up. Like, what do you do? How can we collaborate? Should we have a call? Those things happen organically, but just don't push them. Like I have collaborated with so many amazing people, but, but I learned too. Like I did it the wrong way first. (laughs) And what did the wrong way look like? That's a great question. And I should probably even spell that out. When I worked for that financial firm, that guy was like a one trick pony. God bless his soul. He would rather reach out to a thousand people to get the one sale. You know, don't spend too long on the phone with somebody and don't spend too long on the social media message. You know, looks like we have shared connections and interests. Let's connect. Okay, thanks for connecting. Here's my calendar. I mean, and you'll get people on the phone that way, but you will also, it's kind of like the people that put miracle Grow on a plant that isn't ready to grow yet. It will burn the shit out of the plant. Okay, it will also burn the shit out of the leaves. And would you rather rather have a lot of relationships that somebody might recommend you to the right Mm. person? Or would you rather just find that one big sale? Mm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, relationships are everything. And I think that story might be interesting to share in that keynote too. You never know. Where you go, I went to this person, I went to this person, and then I showed up here and then it might make people laugh. But yeah, I'm absolutely with you. Relationships are so important, right? That's what, when I do, I'm same like you, we're meeting so many people all the time. One strategy I use that not a lot of people do is I actually rank my favorite relationships, Mm, right? So that way- That's so Facebook. Right, that's for Facebook. (laughs) So the reason I do it is not to be offensive to anyone or anything, but just because you can't can't keep in touch with so many people, right? Dunbar's principle means you can only talk to like up to 150 people at the same time. And even for most people, that's too much, right, Rina? So what I do instead, I just go, okay, who are my top 20? And then how do I make sure I'm intentionally pouring more energy into them? Because I know they'll reciprocate because they're super generous people. And that's how the network expands. Whereas if you do that with like 2000 people, I mean, you're just like burnt out. So I'm glad you did that with the credit farmer uh, niche. I don't think, I, I don't know anyone that LinkedIn was very focused in that. So you're just going to dominate that. I can already picture you like the biggest stage of credit farmer and you're just going to be there. To the you know stage. what else is crazy? I'm bringing a secret guest to the conference. Oh, to the conference. Oh, is it Jerry Springer? Oh, that'd be amazing. (laughs) Would that be awesome? Is it the bodyguard? That'd be cool too, but even better, my daddy. (laughs) Yeah, there you go, even better. I thought a lot about this, like how do I weave him into the conversation, right? But the backbone of America is family and farming. And my dad is a huge part of affirming my journey. In fact, I probably would not have even accepted the speech had my husband not said, this doesn't come by too often. If my dad didn't say, you know, this is a great opportunity. This is pushing you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So my biggest affirmer is going to be in the audience. And how much does that help? Mm, I think that's amazing, right? It definitely helps to have audience members that are there to support you. 30s you grow and what's also nice is you can practice in front of your dad before you actually give the presentation and you know he's going to be sitting in the audience so that way he can give you that feedback that you need oh you might be coming off like this or like that so when you're there he can just watch and smile and it'd be it'll be a beautiful moment indeed not only that but 
everybody loves what my dad says at the end of every episode. And part of why I came up with the concept of this show was Jerry Springer. I'm like, I can book a wide range of guests. And in the beginning, I wanted the whole like shock and awe, you know, like I interviewed a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. I interviewed a guy that donated his sperm to 20 different people. I, <laughs> you know, I've had some a mix of stories, but then I've also like interviewed Stephen Covey and James Altucher and Evan Carmichael and people that I love their lives and I love their content and Brendan and <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, is that Brendan Bouchard? Did you have him on the show? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's me, right? That is Brendan. Yeah, and wait, so do you force them to do accents too? Like, what what do you do with Stephen Covey? Do you say like, do you prefer egg rolls or maple syrup? Do like, what do you? Actually, my question with him was, and I even asked my dad, like how to phrase this nicely was, what is it like to have like such a successful dad and take over his empire? Like, what was that like for you? Mm. Do you feel like you've been able to like carve your own path? Like that was something I was super interested in. You know, and so I've had a range of daddy stories and we have to go there with you too. And then after I do these whole like interview style conversations, instead of me having to like summarize the episode, my dad is actually really good at like summarizing what he took from it, which is like how you finish a speech, right? And then we get this special like daddy daughter time. So my sisters are super jealous. (laughs) How many sisters do you have? Two. Two? Gotcha, gotcha. Super fun. Yeah. Okay. So now we got to go into the daddy drama because I know you've got some. I did a lot of search. Yes. Let me see what I wrote. (laughs) Oh, sometimes in life, you do what you don't want. I wrote that because you said sometimes a big motivator in life can be from you not wanting to be like someone else. I think that that is actually really interesting and I can actually very much relate to that. So I didn't want to get married young. I didn't want to pop out kids right away. Like I wanted to stand on my own two feet and have a career. But growing up in Kentucky, that is not necessarily like, you know, what people do. Mm. And when I wasn't married by 25, my parents were honestly starting to line people up at family events. And I'm like, I'm good. I can find somebody, you know, they're at the the farmer credit event. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, Rena. I, I didn't, I didn't think you would go there, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, me, me and my dad didn't have the best relationship. You know, he was a dysfunctional. He was an alcoholic. I didn't spoken to him in like the last ten years of our relationship until he passed away in 2019. So, so yeah, it definitely wasn't super great. But, but I think what I would say, what I learned was, and it was tough for me to admit, is that my dad was the biggest gift in my life. Because if he had never immigrated from Sri Lanka to Canada, I never would have been who I became. Never would have studied in University of Montreal. Never would have went to school here. Never would have studied business. Never would have started Master Talk because that's how I got there. So I think a lot of my earlier years was mostly around competition. I was going to beat him. I was going to show him that I was better. But I realized later in life that the game was rigged. Like I wasn't, I was, there was no game to be won. Like there's, it was more about what am I actually doing with my life? And I had to play a new game which is more about helping other people and and focusing on impact. So there you go. What made you realize that? I would say what made me realize that was probably in the last breaths of his life. Because before then, just to give you context, right? Between the ages of like, like my whole life, actually, from like, let's say 14 to 23, we lived in the same house, never talked to him. I didn't even look at him because I just didn't, I just didn't want that negativity in my life. And he was the last negative person in my life. And then after he passed away, I have no more negative people. So it wasn't very good. But I think towards the end, 
I just, once again, I don't know if you want to go this deep, <laughs> given the tone that we've had in this podcast, but yeah, like I remember the last, the last few days, how helpless he looked. Like I knew he was just gonna, he was gonna die. And then at that moment, I just realized like, is, was this the game I've been playing for my whole life? Was this the point of my life just to beat him? Cause there was nothing to beat. He'd beaten himself. So so I had to, I had to figure out, you know, a lot, do some Tony Robbins, do some inner work, break some boards, uh, put some oil on my face, whatever you want to do and figured it out. So, so I'm glad I did. Did you ever talk to your mom about it? Yes and no. So, so South Asian culture with my sister, absolutely. Hmm. But you have to also keep in mind, right. When with South Asian culture, there's just some things you don't really talk about that you just know. Right. So for, for example, like my mom doesn't say, I love you. Like she doesn't understand what that means. And it's not, it's not to say that she doesn't love us or anything. It's just the, it's just the way that we express emotions. So I, so I talk a lot about this with everyone else. My, me and my mom don't have those deep conversations though. Not really, no. But we live together though. She's great. Were they match made? Yeah, arranged, of course. I think all of them were, except maybe one or two from the previous generation anyways. Did you watch any matchmaking? Of t- Come on. Is that even a question? You know, I mean, they're coming out with season two. I love that show. I was literally about to drop that. Literally yesterday. We have a group chat. All of our, that all my family's amazing. I don't know how I got so lucky with the rest of my family. We literally got so pissed off. And I'll tell you why we got pissed off around season two. Because it's coming out on August 20th and I'm going to visit my family this week. So we can't watch it. We have to wait until December. So I'm so excited for Nadia. My God, I was so in love with her after season one. My God. What a show. Try to like throw your hat in there. No, she's like 34. I don't want to. (laughs) My daughter. I probably should have said that. (laughs) She's great though. But, uh, and and I'm too short. Apparently she only dates people six feet. That's probably why she she hasn't found someone. What did you think of? And what do you think of like the matchmaking process? Like, is that for you? I won't say no. I won't say no. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. What I think I'll respect, you know, I w- when I was younger, I wouldn't have given you this answer. I've been super immature about it. Oh, Rena, what are you talking about? Matchmaking's for people, blah, blah, blah. It's wrong. I think it makes a lot of sense. You're looking at education. You're looking at income level. I mean, that's what marriage is not. I mean, you probably know this better than I do. I believe you're married. I could be right. 15 years see. deep. Yeah. yeah. 15 years. Four kids in. There you go. Right. So, so it's not, you know, love is not enough. And I think, I feel that's, that's not explained a lot in media. So, so do I think the matchmaking system is wrong? Absolutely not. I think it's an option worth considering. And luckily, given that I'm from that ethnicity, it's an option I do have on the table if all else fails. But, but yes, I, I am a believer in the system. But uh, I'm not, not going to say I'll necessarily take it, though. Because I don't know if I'll marry someone in my own ethnicity. I want to keep my options open. That's cool. What about the, like, face reader stuff? Face reader stuff? You mean like, uh, I think I know what you're talking about. They like, kind of showed that in the show where like. Yeah, so it's similar. Maybe, maybe, maybe you probably are a bigger fan than me. I, I watched that thing twice. But I think what you're talking about is the readings create these things called biodatas. So for those who are listening who don't know what this is, and people who are outside of this world are probably freaking out right now. Like, what's happening? Are they going to jail? What's going on? So, so basically, biodatas are like CVs, they're resumes. That explains what the family origin is, what your ethnicity is, what your job is, what your university education is, what your income level. It's literally the whole thing. And you go through, and there's there's the Auntie Seema, the, the main character of, of Indian Matchery. She has a bio of like hundreds of thousands of these people. And she's just like. Super connected. Yeah. It's a fun wow. show. I'm so excited to watch season two. Like, and I don't watch TV shows. 
except Jerry Springer that you got me into recently, got me back into. I don't know why I blame you for this. It's my own. It's my own demise. But yeah, I'm super excited to watch. It's going to be great. What lessons did you learn from Springer? Like, what do you think the attraction is there? Great question. I would say for me, it's two things. One is voyeurism. I feel human beings love to look into other people's lives. That's why vlogging is really big on YouTube. We just like staring into other people's lives. We like being stalkers. We just don't like to admit it. I feel that's one piece. And the other piece, and I'm sure you would agree, is when you feel other people's lives are worse than yours, it makes your life a little bit better. And my life isn't that bad, but even for someone like me, who I love my life, there's something about Jerry Springer that makes you sit down and go, I had a great day, but now I had a better day because this guy cheated on his somebody and then slept with the sister and then the brother and then the dog. And they're just like, and obviously I know some of this scripted too, but still, still interesting. What about you? What, 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 would, what would you say? Do, does that resonate with you? Do you disagree? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Yes. And I think that it was pre-reality TV where people wanted their 15 minutes of fame. I think now that you can create your own fame through YouTube, through social media, through TikTok. I mean, it's crazy. That's why I feel like social media today has just completely taken over because if you understand trending audio, if you understand how to put together good content, there are hacks to get bigger followings. If that's what you're after, if you want to feed that ego, it's really easy to feed. I feed it every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about point. that. Yeah, I just I just did master talk to feed my own insecurities. But for real, I do agree. I feel it's really interesting that we live in a world where we become our own media companies. It does lead to some insecurity for sure. I'm sure there's something I'm looking to fill in. But I think the other piece, a little bit more importantly, is that allows me to create change that I wouldn't have been able to do 30 years ago. Like think about Dale Carnegie. When that dude was alive, he was probably a really good communication coach, as an example, but he could only leave a book or a series of books because there wasn't podcasting or YouTube channels, whereas I get the opportunity to do something Dale wasn't able to do in his lifetime. So I think that's super cool. Yeah, alongside that, I took an internship in college at a news station and like thought it would be cool to do local news. And now, you know, a news story could break. You can reach out to the family tell them a personal story of why their story touched you and you can have them on your own show. Like I literally have done that where like even before the news has interviewed someone, I've gotten them into a studio and shot them real time. Absolutely. That is just majorly leveling the playing field. And speaking of that, like I remember when I was listening to your Jerry Springer episode, like you found out about the internship because of like some poster, like on some wall. Like, a, like old like school. A, yeah, like imagine if you hadn't seen that flyer. Like, so I agree. It definitely equalizes the playing field with social. Serendipity, though. You have to really open your eyes to what's around you. Like today, I was feeling kind of frustrated. Like we still haven't unpacked all the boxes. And like my husband's like away all day at this new job. And I'm like home with the kids that I couldn't get into camp yet. And school hasn't started. I'm like, this is feeling like Groundhog Day. You know, I'm like, I don't care if we drive 30 miles to a bouncy trampoline place. We need to get out of this house. And just like going on the drive and putting on some music and like looking at the new buildings and like having a new experience completely changes your mood, your possibilities, like your ideas, everything. 
Oh yeah, I completely agree. It's all about changing that point of view, right? That's why I'm taking a vacation after two years. I don't think, uh, actually, no, six months. I don't even remember where I am anymore. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I need a vacation. Yeah, I am also really interested in the fact that you watched hundreds of YouTube videos to get better at public speaking. Do you really think that amount of repetition is what set you apart? I definitely do partially for the YouTube. I would say most of it though, came from my ridiculous obsession with case competitions. So to give people backstory, I did these things called case competitions, like professional sports for nerds in university. So the guys were like playing rugby or something dangerous that I probably wouldn't play. I did presentations competitively. That I was obsessed. Like think of me like the Michael Jordan that nobody gives a shit about. And the reason I say that is because MJ did basketball and people care about basketball. And he was like a dictator and he was like an asshole, like all the team. I was very similar, but in a sport that nobody cares about. So nobody knows it. Nobody sees it because no one's paying attention to cases. That's probably the main reason I got really good. Think of it like an army of some of the best presenters in the world. And they would fly out. And I'm not even kidding to Serbia in some cases to give PowerPoint presentation. And I was the speech coach for the team. So I was just helping because there's nobody else other than me at the rock, like a rock, not like Dwayne Johnson. So they picked me. So I was just coaching them. And, and that's how I learned how to speak. That's crazy. And how did you know this was like your thing? I didn't, to be honest. The main reason I did these competitions, Rena, is because I wanted a job. It's not really super exciting. I, I just wanted to get a corporate job in the same way that like we talk about audience, like audition casting, right? In the, in the case where right? you audition a lot of people, you pick somebody. And you have producers who pick that person. So what is that in business school? In business school is a lot of these high level executives at Amazon spend like tens of thousands of dollars sponsoring these things. They sit down, all their best executives sit down and they watch people present and they go, I want that kid. I want that kid. I want that kid. And they start hiring them right out of business school. And those people become like the next kind of all-stars. So I wasn't looking to do this as a colleague. This is just for fun. I was just Actually, not for fun. This was to get a job. But I just got obsessed with it. And then three years later, I just realized I was the youngest communication coach in the world. It was completely by accident. So I was like, oh, no one's sharing this shit for free. I might as well make videos in my mom's basement, where I still live, by the way. It's like right over the couch that I started it. And then it just turned into something that was absolutely insane. Did any of that come from your dad? <laughs> I mean, partially, partially, for sure. Maybe not the, the communication side. But definitely the drive to be better. Because my focus was really retiring my mom, right? Because I, I didn't like the life she was living. Like both of them were factory workers, my dad and my mom. Hmm. And, and I always wanted to, to live a better life. And he always told me I couldn't do it, that I couldn't be successful in life. So it definitely drove me to become successful. And that played a part where I got really good at developing a razor sharp, obsessive focus towards something. So it was that anger that drove that obsession but then when I started Master Talk, it wasn't really about my dad anymore, but he had taught me that obsession that I developed to get a job at IBM, to get a job at Price or to do something. To, and I applied it to Master Talk and it worked. <laughs> it definitely worked. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, talk to me about Master Talk. Yeah, for sure. So Master Talk is a YouTube channel that I started a few years ago to help people with their communication skills. And in addition to that, it's a, it's a practice. I coach people, uh, executives on how to speak too. What do some of the best speakers do? I would say the best speakers are really clear about why they want to speak. That's probably the first one. 
So they ask themselves, they don't just sidestep the question. Because a lot of people, when they hear like, how would your life change if you're an exceptional community? They were like, okay, buddy, that's cool. That's cute. Whereas I think a small percentage of people really take that question and think about it. Hmm. How would my life be different? So I have a very strong why. I think that's one thing the best speakers do. The second thing that they do is consistency, right? They practice a lot, right? The, the random word exercise, the, the bill, the bowling, the random words, they do that every day consistently until they get really good. And then I would say the third piece besides the why and the consistency is really they see the benefits really quickly and they have that accountability. So they might have people around them that are practicing this. I got some crazy people that I've coached over the years that do the random word exercise with their kids and they make it a whole thing. So they're in a car, they're listening to music and they turn off the music. They go, random word exercise, go. Uh, Jim, your word is bowling. And then they just uh, have fun with it. So I think that's the third piece. So you throw out a word and then they have to tell you a story about bowling? You got it. That is kind of like Toastmasters where you do like the round robin and you have to just answer a question and talk for like a minute and a half to two minutes on some random question. I think that's a great exercise. Oh, yeah. It's just the difference in the Toastmaster one. That's like table topics is the questions get so like personally. I like Toastmasters, but I'm a fan. But it's just a bit confusing because like one day it's like, what's your favorite color shirt? And you're like, uh, a red. And then the next question is, what was the biggest lesson that your father taught you? And you're just like, what the fuck? And then it just gets really confusing. Whereas with the random word, it's just like apple, sauna, spa, Geronimo. And then you're just like, okay. And then you just get better a lot faster, I find. That's interesting. I'm totally going to play that with my kids tonight. You said you got four of them. So it's going to be a whole lot. (laughs) That's like half a presentation right there. Literally. Okay, so have you ever had to give like a keynote 60 minutes long? How do you practice timing? Right. So the way that I do keynotes, Rena, is I apply a strategy I call puzzle. So puzzle just means, you know, jigsaw puzzles. I'm sure you've played them a lot with your four kids, right? So, so let me ask you, right? Simple question. Let's say you're working on a puzzle. Which pieces do you start with first and why? I usually start with the ones that like might spell out a word or that have like a stripe or something that. (laughs) That's such an interesting way of tackling puzzles. Very, very interesting. I need to get your puzzle course. So most people usually answer the edges because you know they're easier to find. The corners, yeah. (laughs) And you're like, I'm looking for a stripe. I'm looking for a polka dot. I was like, this is a really, she must be like a professional puzzle player. Anyways, so for most of us normal folk who aren't as skilled as you are at puzzles, a quarters is how you do it. But here's the thing, Rena. Most of us don't do that in communication. We start with the middle first. We shove a bunch of content and then we ramble throughout the whole presentation. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Yes, uh, thanks. So it's really shit. So instead what you want to do, whether it's 60 minute keynote, 15 minute TED talk, is you want to start with the edges first, like a puzzle. So practice just the intro 50 times until it's perfect. Do the same thing with the close. What's a great movie, the terrible ending? Terrible movie. So same thing with the close and then tackle the middle. So the way that I, I approach any keynote is I start with the, the beginning, I go to the end, and then I figure out the middle later. That's interesting. I like that. I actually have not heard that yet. That's unique. I got you. All right. You know, it's funny. Well, I, I learned the puzzle from a five-year-old because when I was coaching these kids, this is the biggest challenge. And I learned so much from that experience. That's why I still coach him. And I was like, Julia, let's call her Julia. I was like, Julia, so we're going to do presentations. And she looked at me and she said, the best question I ever got asked, what's a presentation? And I said, shit, 
said, well, there's an introduction, a conclusion. And she was honest because she's innocent. She's five years old. What's an introduction? What's a conclusion? And I said, I'm screwed. How am I supposed to coach these kids? And then I thought about it. I said, what analogy can I drive? And I, I chewed on it for a few weeks. And for some reason, I was coaching an executive client. It was so random. I was sitting on my mattress because I didn't have a desk yet. And I was just coaching her. And I saw puzzles on the floor. And I said, presentations are like a jigsaw puzzle. And she looked at me. She's like, what do you mean? And I said, uh, corners. And that's how I figured it out. And then it worked well with the five-year-old. I love that. You know what's interesting, too? Like, I've worked for, you know, like a technology company. And I felt like I could market anything, but like they were using such like corporate speak that I'm like, literally, can you please just like tell me your elevator pitch? Like, so I went around to everybody that like had been at the company for like five plus years. I'm like, what's your elevator pitch? What's your elevator pitch? What's your elevator pitch? Right? Like, I'm trying to like really understand like what they do, you know, from the website, I'm totally not getting it. Then I came up with a game around it. I was like, whose elevator pitch is it anyway? If somebody in this office can guess these 10 elevator pitches and who said them, I will get them an autographed picture from the CEO. And the CEO like <laughs> went along with it. Like he thought that was so funny. And then I, it was like, so cool. let's do that instead of these boring newsletters or instead of these boring white papers, right? So I like created games to like for internal communications. And so, yeah, like the point of that is like whatever your company does, like whatever you do, like you should honestly be able to explain that to a five-year-old. Absolutely. I love that game. You're so creative. It's good. Autograph picture from the CEO. That's hilarious. I think I might take that. That's funny. What was funnier is I was like, you know, do you have like a picture that you like of yourself that like, you know, brings up a memory of like- He's got like like, his shirt off or something. He's like- Young and strapping. (laughs) (laughs) So he gave me like a younger version of him that he signed. And yeah, that was kind of cool. That's hilarious. But it was like fun too, to even like engage the CEO. Like, hey, I'm like the new business development person and I'm just trying to like figure out how to market this place best, right? I love it. You're a genius. My goodness. That's good. It was just honestly me like seriously Mm. trying to figure out how to explain to customers like at a trade show, like what we did in a simple way. Like I can bring on my husband that's the engineer if you want like a deeper dive into how everything works. You know, but for the marketer, like it's got to be like three points. This is what we do. Mm. Right. But yeah, like breaking down a presentation simply, my whole thing is like, why do we feel like it has to be formal? Does it have to be formal? Can't we just be ourselves? Like the people who I love and Mm. I follow on social really just speak from the heart. The ones that are super polished and have all the filters on and don't have one hair out of place and have too many things that they're trying for me to, you know, to overwhelm me with. I don't love, it's like the, the people that come on, they give you one or two, like Gary V type of lines, you know, like something easy to pump you up, something that they're feeling on their heart. They might pull something from the Bible. I don't care where you get it from. Right. As long as you're like being truthful and real and like not polished. Those are the people that I continually follow. And when I like randomly post something versus when I like tailor pick something from an interview that I've done and brand it so beautifully, the random things that I just put up with no thought, well, intention, but like less perfectionism, those do 10 times as well, engagement wise. Oh yeah. My best post on LinkedIn, oddly enough, is like me buying a used Toyota. And everyone else flexes BMWs. And I was like, yeah, I just bought a Toyota for my mom. And it got like 150,000 views. <laughs> what the? 
but yes, I, I definitely think keeping it real makes sense. The only exception is like specific context. So like a job interview, unless it's like the creative department, if you're like an interview for like an accounting role, yeah, you can spice it up a little bit. But if you give them a photograph picture of the CEO, they might actually get impressed, but they might be a little bit <laughs> worried too. So it's all about understanding the concept, but you're right. most of the time I, I try and keep it real too. I'm totally with Okay. You. So I'm going to tell you another story that I thought about maybe using. So I moved out to LA after Jerry Springer and I thought I was the cat's meow. I'm like, I've worked at Jerry Springer. I'm a producer. I got into the producers guild of America. You know, I get internal job postings now. Like I live on the Gold Coast. I thought I was made, right? I moved to LA. Everybody's a producer. Everybody's got a producer business card. In fact, I am nothing. I'm crap. So I moved to LA. I applied to this guy in the Producers Guild for like literally a year straight. Like I've got my professional resume. I'm in the Producers Guild. I'm like willing to work any hours. I've proved myself, right? Uh-uh. He was not even like, inter- I wasn't even like, I don't even think he gave me like a response. Like, you know, just went into the black hole of nothingness. And I was like, God, this guy is like working on every cool show. And he's been in the industry for so long. I was like, what can I do like to get this guy's attention? I was like, oh, well, you know, the, the regular responsible messaging I'm using is not working. So I literally sent him a one-liner. I was like, Bill Clinton's no longer looking for interns. This job sounds like fun. Literally, that is all I wrote. And he was like a huge fan of Clinton. So he asked me if I could come in that night for an interview. And he totally thought that was funny. He was like, if you've produced the Jerry Springer show, you can figure this job out. He was like, I've worked in the industry for 30 years. I did not even know how to output a tape. It was for a post-production supervisor role on Nanny 911. He was like, can you start tonight from seven at night till seven in the morning, pretty much for like the next nine months. I was like, I'm in. But it was having a one-liner up my sleeve. It was being at the right place at the right time. It was many planting of the seeds prior of like this guy seeing my persistence of like continually sending him my resume, right? And then, yeah, just kind of like affirming that like, I'll call you if I need you. Otherwise, I'm going to just like figure out where I'm needed. Mm. But you also have the street cred too, right? Because I remember from the episode, because and I agree, because you're like, your producer life at Jerry Spring is like hell. You're like waking up these people who don't want to get up and you're bringing them and you're picking up the airport. Whereas most of the time when you're producing a show, based on what you were saying, it's just like, it's easy. It's like a cakewalk outside of that show. So interesting. Yeah, I actually really loved that Jerry knew that. Yeah, I was surprised too. I really was surprised in all of these years. I wanted to know, I was like, dude, does he know? Like what it takes to like literally herd these people in before he gets there five minutes before. And you know what else is super interesting? Like I was so nervous as a 21 year old producer. Like when he walked in, I definitely put him on a pedestal. Like, oh yeah, he was a young Jerry Springer back then. Yeah, he was. And I was scared. I was like, you know, like stumbling through their names, like barely getting out their story, like scared like in between commercial breaks, like, you know, am I going to tell them everything that they need to say? Are they going to come attack me? Like, you know, (laughs) it was crazy, but it did give me the confidence to know that if I could accomplish something like that, you know, the the biggest lesson I learned truthfully Mm. was that the show always comes together. 
And there's so much that happens behind the scenes that people don't know, even in speech preparation, right? Like today I'm like, uh, I think instead of like ironing my skirt, I'm going to buy a new one. I need a new pair of like fresh tights. I'm like, are my shoes scuffed? I'm like, I'm, I'm calling a makeup artist, like all this shenanigans, right? I'm like, should I wear a dress? Is the microphone going to fall out my dress? Should I wear a skirt? I'm like, totally second guessing myself, right? And like, does that even matter? It doesn't. It doesn't. Just believe in yourself. That's really honestly all it all work out, right? Is believing in yourself and knowing that the show always comes together. You can be sick backstage. You can be like the night before a show and like have no guests. And you know what's gonna happen if you have no guests and there is a studio audience full of cheering fans? The other producers in the office are gonna give you a story. The other producers in the office are part of the team and they will stretch one of your stories, multiple segments. I've seen that happen, right? Like there will always be a show. It's going to be stressful as heck, but the show always goes on and people never know how much preparation, how much sweat, how much tears, all of that. Absolutely. Because if the choreography goes wrong, the audience doesn't know the choreography, so it doesn't matter. Okay. One final tip, and then I'm going to let you ask my dad a question. What is your thoughts on like PowerPoint and like, do you use walk-up music? Like, what are your thoughts on like having visuals? Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of PowerPoint specifically because it allows us to move ourselves towards the audience for, so for people who are keynoting for the first time. So let's say, and even Seth Godin's a great example. He still keynotes with slides today. So I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but what I would say is once you get better at doing a similar presentation over and over again, practice without the slides as if you never had them. I think it's just a good muscle to build just in case something goes wrong because something always goes wrong all the time. So that's what I would say around PowerPoint. I think it's worth it. I think it's better than cue cards. That's for sure. Like you're better off doing that. And we could have a whole other episode about why I hate cue cards, why the death of any presentation. But yeah, PowerPoints are fun. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any questions for my dad? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll ask a bizarro one. That'll mess him up a little bit. Ooh. The question is, what are you pretending not to know? That's a good one. <laughs> that should mess him up a little bit. Any final French words you want to leave us with? Bonne soirée. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Let people know how they can find your master talks. And I, how many podcasts have you been on alongside like practicing hundreds of YouTube videos? Like when I typed in your name, I think there were hundreds of videos that we can listen to you on podcasts. So how do we make this one stand out with French? <laughs> you definitely made this one stand out. This is going to be super fun to promote. But yeah, I would say two, two ways to keep in touch with you. This is great, by the way. You did an awesome job. The first one was the YouTube channel. So just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have more of a PR version of Brendan where you can learn hundreds of videos on, on communication. And then the second one is attending my free training on Zoom. You can go to rockstarcommunicator.com and see me live interacting with other humans over a Zoom call. When is that happening? Happens every three weeks. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Brendan. <laughs> Thanks, Rita. Can't wait to hear what daddy has to say. <laughs> Me too, actually. I'm kind of curious. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. What a lively discussion with Brendan, where you're both sharing experiences of communicating with the podcast and brainstorming different sites, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn as well, and even going to motivational speakers and influencers where you all have that in common and can share that. What I found to be very ironic is that his question is, what am I pretending that I don't know? And sometimes 
along the same line of communication, it's very simple. I trust in people sometimes that are not trustworthy. And it sounds like I'm playing dumb or being the sucker, but where I'm giving everyone an opportunity to really prove themselves. And sometimes you have to keep your guard up, but you have to do the best you can to get along with people, even though they don't deserve sometimes that attentiveness or that trust that you put in them. But the only way to make somebody trustworthy is to, in fact, try to trust them. That's really funny because today I did an interview with Rabbi Welton. This is an upcoming episode. And he said, you know, how do you have such a good relationship with your dad? I said, because he's a really loving guy. I said, but sometimes he's like so loving it's to a fault. He's like that with everyone. He's like that even to his factory workers. And even my grandma calls him a sucker. Well, and that's what I'm really revealing is that without you putting yourself out there, even though you might get burnt or been taken or made a fool by trusting someone, but without putting yourself out there and showing that you're willing to trust someone, do you really find out what a person is really all about? And usually, even though they might not come through for you, most of the times they learn and appreciate those second chances, those reaching out and giving them an opportunity to have a relationship that's really true and fair and candid and honest and where I put it all out there on the line. But a lot of people take advantage of people in that situation. And unfortunately, sometimes even your father learns a little too late. And again, nobody wants to be the sucker in this, but sometimes I do play the sucker in that relationship. But that's how you learn about people. That's how you learn about what a positive and a negative attitude is really all about. And you want to really know how a person really is. And you're hoping that they will reveal themselves if you are always at least true to them whether you believe it or not. Also, part of that question is in the back of his mind, he had a similar issue with his father, where he felt like he was in competition with him. He felt like he couldn't really get along with him and that uh, they were always bucking heads. Then he realized how lucky he was with everything that his father had to overcome. And by pushing him and telling him that he could really be a failure and that he's not really doing well with his life, it motivated him to step up and to do better and try to actually outdo his father. And as you know, my father, who had lots of accolades, always would tell me what I would hope that my children and my son would be better than me. Okay. But he certainly loved being on the stage and being highlighted himself. He wasn't going to back the deck and say, oh, my son is doing this, my son is doing that. No, he still wanted to have the limelight, but by showing that he wanted to be the best that he could be, he wanted to motivate me and the people around him that they could be the best that they could be. And that's what it's about. And Brendan is doing the same thing. He has been able to step to a higher level by saying, hey, I have to appreciate everything that my father stood for. I'm not in a competition with him that I want to help other people and I want to be positive with my life. And even though he at times was negative, but it made me even more positive and where I wanted to reach out and help more people. And I wanted to be able to build up my communication skills so that I could be the best that I can be as well. The other lesson in this episode, which has come up in other episodes, is that preparation at anything that you want to be, you have to do the work, okay? You can't just wing it and you have to practice and you have to practice, and you have to really go for it, and you have to put in the sweat and the blood and the hard work, 
and then you have at least a chance to be successful. But without it, no chance. He has perfected his art. It's incredible. He's also a perfectionist. And he looks at every detail. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look and experience every detail that we can and to get better at it. There's all different forms of communication, whether it's a podcast or a TV or radio or writing a book or going to a conference or going on a stage and joking around, brainstorming with other people, going to conventions. There's so many different ways that we can communicate. And by doing that, we have a chance to be able to experience everybody's experiences and to add to our wisdom rating. When in doubt, better call daddy. I think you like that line. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait for you to to also put some of these songs together where we can make some live shows with a nice entrance and get everybody excited to see us. All right, let's start the slow clap. Put your hands together. (laughs) That's right. And because when you're singing and you're happy and you're motivated, guess what? Others will find that to be a comfort and also will be want to be part of that enthusiasm. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 